Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, friends, and welcome on into episode 15 of The Sco Show. My name is Mark Schofield, back in the big chair for today, Wednesday, September 18th, 2019. Your typical Wednesday show. Excited for it? We got another great show for you. Taylor Kyles comes back, our first three time guest. He's going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit about the big win Sunday over the Dolphins, peek ahead to the New York Jets, as well as what just is going down in Miami with the Dolphins. I'm also going to do some nerdy football stuff at the outset. I'm going to talk protections. I'm going to talk protecting Tom Brady. I'm going to be throwing terms at you like 64, 72, five-man, six-man fans, all sorts of nerdy football stuff, diamond fronts, all sorts of nerdy football stuff that you've known to grow and love from your boy Mark Schofield here on The Sco Show. But before we do all that, your usual cavalcade of reminders. First off, Sco Show is proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation. Please do follow along with the hijinks at Mark Schofield on the old Twitter machine. You can check out the work in places like InsideThePylon.com, Pro Football Weekly, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, and yes, that holy trinity of sorts of SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, where I'm covering the Daniel Jones news, Bleeding Green Nation, where I co-host the QB Sco Show with the one and only Michael J. Kist, and of course, Pat's Pulpit, where I do film breakdowns, and yes, the QB Sco Show. Now let's talk about protecting Tom Brady. I've said before that Protecting TB12 is job number one, maybe job number one, two, three, four, five, six for this Patriots offense. You want to make sure that TB12 is upright, protected, and able to throw from the pocket. Because as he goes, so goes this team, perhaps. Now, this year, perhaps more than any other year in recent history, the Patriots might be able to overcome an injury to Tom Brady with the way the defense has been playing, with the weapons on offense. But we don't want to be there, do we? We don't want to be in that situation. So let's keep the guy healthy, keep the guy upright, and let him keep doing what he does best. But in the wake of the Patriots win, 43 to nothing, over a Miami Dolphins team, which, yes, has some issues, people were concerned. We've got Isaiah Wynn down with turf toe. We've got Marcus Cannon hurt with a shoulder injury. So Corey Cunningham and Marshall Newhouse, two guys recently acquired by this team, have stepped in to start on the edges, one at right tackle, one at left tackle. That's a tricky situation. You've got guys that are still learning the playbook coming in to protect Tom Brady. And I had people like John Limarakis from the Scotia Slack channel at The Allowed Fool on Twitter. And one of my favorite listeners, Erica Prohl at Erica's Homes for You on Twitter. Give her a follow. Reaching out to me saying, I'm worried about the offensive line. So what I wanted to do was look at particularly the two sacks. I wanted to break those down to get a sense of how pressure was happening and were the tackles missing their jobs, missing their assignments. The first play 
is the first of the two sacks we're going to talk about. It's a first and 10 play at the 7.30 mark of the second quarter, about halfway through the second quarter. Patriots on their own 35-yard line, 7-0. And they come out, and they've got a big package in. They've got 22 personnel on the field, two tight ends, two running backs, and one wide receiver. they got Brady under center. Devlin's in a win to the right. Both tight ends are on the line of scrimmage next to the tackles. As you might expect, Miami is in their base defense here. They've got a 3-4 on the field. They've got a nose tackle head up on the center, Ted Karras. And they've got their two t- defensive ends in this 3-4 in the B gaps, in the gaps between the guards and the tackles. And then they've got the four linebackers, both outside linebackers, are on the line of scrimmage in a two-point stance over the tight ends. And your two off-ball linebackers, both behind the tackles, the defensive ends, excuse me, in that sort of B-gap area. That's the sort of rough alignment. Now, I'll preface this by saying, look, A, I don't know the play call, and B, I'm not an offensive lineman guru, but I've got a playbook. I'm armed with a playbook, three chords, and the truth here. And so what it looks to me the Patriots do on this play is they run something out of their 60 protection series, which is typically a six-man protection series, sometimes with two backs in the backfield, sometimes with one back in the backfield. And the back, at least one of them, has a free release if there are two backs. And the other back has to at least check a potential blitz and linebacker, usually the will, the weak side inside linebacker in a 3-4, before releasing into his pattern. As for the guys up front, they basically fan. Center will take the guy head up on him, the tackle. The two guards will sort of fan to the outside each, expecting to take the defensive ends. And the tackles fan out as well because it's expected in this protection scheme that both those edge guys, those two outside linebackers, are going to come. So they fan outside, expecting those guys to come. And if they don't, then they can help to the inside. One player is going to be hot. That's the Mike. The tight end to that side is the hot route. And Brady, before this play, identifies the Mike linebacker who is to the right side of the offense over the right tackle and inside of Matt Lacoste. He identifies that player as the Mike. If that player blitzes, he's basically unaccounted for in this scheme. The guard can potentially help him. But if that guy comes, why has to look for the ball? The tight end, in this case, Matt Lacoste, has to look for the football. That's The identification of the mic means different things and different protections, as we'll see in a second with the second sack. But in this case, it means we don't think we can guarantee this guy is covered, so we might have to throw hot, why look for the ball. That's on one side. The other side, they fake a handoff. They run play action hitter Sony Michelle. He has to check the will, the weak side inside linebacker. If he comes, that's Sony's guy. Now, as this play develops, Brady makes the fake. What the Dolphins do is they drop everybody but the front three. Both edge outside linebackers take a step inside to show pressure and then drop. And this, as the tackles, both Newhouse and Cunningham see it, they expect, okay, now I'm going to be on an island with these guys. We have to fan out. That's what they do. But then both these guys drop. The two inside linebackers, the Will and the Mike, they both drop into coverage. So there's no hot route throw. And Sonny Michelle is free to release into his little check down pattern over the middle. But by simulating the pressure off the edge, both these tackles 
have to at least respect the potential that these guys are going to come. But they drop. What ends up happening on the left side is the outside defense, the defensive end, not the linebacker, the defensive end. He rushes upfield and he attacks the tackle. But Newhouse does a very good job of seeing that, taking his eyes from first the edge defender, the outside linebacker, to the defensive end. And he's able to sort of handle him. He gets behind him off the edge, runs the arc well, but it doesn't really impact the play. And Joe Tooney slides with it as well, sees it, keeps his eyes on him, and then he's in a position where he can work back inside to help or help on that. The nose tackle is stood up by Ted Karras, who does a great job. The problem is backside, or the other side, over Shaq Mason and Cunningham. Cunningham does what he's supposed to. He thinks the pressure is coming. When he doesn't see it, he tries to get over and help, but he's too late. Why? Because the defensive tackle has just bull rushed Shaq Mason into Tom Brady's lap. Now, if Mason had sort of anchored and gotten beaten back a little bit, Cunningham could have come over and helped. But Mason gets beat badly on this play. He doesn't really give Brady a chance. He gets driven into Brady's lap, and it results in the sack. And looking at the tackles on this play, I don't think there's anything else they could have done. And so that's the first sack. Now let's talk about the second sack. And again, what's interesting about both of these plays is that they do it with just a three-man rush. This second sack, Patriots go empty. Five-man, five-man, five-wide, empty formation, Brady in the shotgun. And again, with a caveat that I don't fully know the play call and I'm not an offensive line guru. And as far as technique and stuff, there are guys like Duke Mannyweather and Brandon Thawne, for example, who's been on the show, and I'm trying to get Brandon back for next week that know technique stuff better. But like I said, armed with a playbook, three chords and the truth. It looks to me like the Patriots are in what we call 74 protection here, which again is a five-man, five-man-only protection scheme. None of the backs, receivers, anybody else is involved in protection. They all get free releases. So we've got five, and hopefully we can block whoever comes with just five. What the Dolphins do is they show pressure pre-snap. They run this sort of three-man offset front where they've got nose tackle on Karras, both defensive ends, like not like we saw in the previous example, they are aligned to the outside, on the outside shoulder of each tackle. They take the two linebackers and they walk them down. They show pressure pre-snap. They put the linebackers down sort of on the outside shoulder of the guards. And so this is a situation where you don't know who's coming and you only have five. They're showing you five. But again, you've got slot guys. You've got to sort of figure out who's coming. Brady, before this play, makes a Rita call. Now this, they could change it, but from the playbook I have, that Rita call means we are hot to the left side. The Patriots... If you were with me and locked on Patriots when I was doing Patriots A to Z, you sometimes you heard that sometimes the Patriots, when they use R and L, it's a flip. They might say R, an R word, like Rita, you might think R right, but it's really left. Linda is the other one, which is hot to the right. Brady makes a Rita call on this play. You can hear it on the broadcast copy, which means we are hot to the left. If that outside slot defender comes, we are hot to that receiver on the left. That's what that means. Because look, they've got five, but that's a sixth defender that we can't block with five. 
So if he comes, we got to throw hot. That's what that means. The 74 protection with that Rita call, it also means that he wants sort of a double on the edges. Meaning both the guard and the tackle on each side is prepared to handle blitzes from the inside. We can't block the outside guy coming, but again, you've got linebackers now in the B gaps as well as the ta- the nose tackle over the center and the two defensive ends. If those guys all come, if f- those five, we have to be able to have our guard and tackle work the two or potentially three man pressure package we're going to see to one side of the formation or the other. So that Rita means two things. The quarterback wants it dueled, which is again, the guard and the, and the tackle working to potentially combo block a, what could be three men coming to their side. And we also have that hot route to the left. That's a lot of stuff I just threw at you, but basically we've got five to block five at most. If it's six that come, we got to have an outlet route, a hot route. Now, unfortunately, what happens they drop into an eight-man coverage scheme. Again, only the two defensive ends and the tackle come. The initial pocket integrity is sound. Cunningham gets hit with a speed rush to the outside, and he rides the guy to the outside. Same thing on the backside. You know, Illuminor gets hit with a speed rush. He sort of rides it well to the outside. Brady wants to get the ball out quickly, but you're running five receivers against eight in coverage. There's nowhere to throw the ball. And that's when the pocket integrity starts to break down a bit. He's forced to climb the pocket. And we get Beagle from Miami just with an effort coverage sack. It really wasn't a situation where they screwed something up. The Dolphins got him on that one. And that's my main takeaway from watching these plays. And frankly, most of this game, sometimes the Dolphins got the Patriots. One was a one versus one win against Mason. This was a coverage sack sort of thing. I thought the coverage was what led to these sacks, at least the second one. I thought the offensive line did fairly well in this game. Again, it's the Miami Dolphins. So, you know, we'll see. We'll get some stiffer tests for this. You know, if these are the five that are going to have to go over the next couple of weeks with Cannon and Wynn dinged up, you know, they'll probably face some stiffer tests, you know, a bit next week that Jets defense can get after it. They got after Josh Allen in week one. And then look, you get the Bills game at Buffalo at the end of September, that Buffalo defense frustrated and harassed Tom Brady all game long in their two meetings last year. So it could be a tougher sl- you know, road to hoe, tougher path to sled, so to speak, over the next two weeks. But as far as what I've seen right now, I'm not feeling too bad. I'm not feeling too bad. Up next, though, we'll see how t- Taylor Kyles, how Taylor feels about this Patriots offense. That's ahead on episode 15 of the Scope Show. This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. 
It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snacket. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hip. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. And welcome back to episode 15 of the SCO Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation. Joined for our first triple guest right now. He's been on before. You all know him. You all love him. He does fantastic work for Pat's Pulpit and everywhere else. He's Taylor Kyles at T Kyles, K Y L E S 39 on the old Twitter machine. Taylor, buddy, how you doing, my friend? I'm excited to be back on, Mark. Thank you for having me again. This is, I love being on the show, man. It's always good. Always great questions. Uh, just happy to be back. Uh, it's, it's great to have you. I can tell, and you've probably seen this too, in the Sco Show Slack channel, there's always an outcry for Taylor to come on to the show. Whenever you post a Twitter thread, breaking down film, it's always dropped into the Sco Show Slack channel. We've got a huge following amongst the gentle listeners, as I like to call them. And so yeah, I'm happy to have you back. Why don't we start here, Taylor? Just your overall impressions of the big win over Miami down in South Beach. Well, first, I want to say to all those supporters, just really quickly, thank you guys so much. Um, I really, really appreciate that. But, uh, yes, for the win in Miami, I think it just shows us what we already know, that this team is really just going to be a problem on both sides of the ball. Obviously, they're overflooded with talent. A.B. just makes the offense even more potent. I love that he got involved early. That was honestly something I kind of expected because we saw that with Josh Gordon, when you get those talented, smart receivers who really understand the game, it's a little easier to get them on board than it would be for maybe people who don't have much playing experience, like younger guys or maybe veterans from different systems who, you know, maybe not don't have as much playing time. But on the offensive side of the ball, like I said, A.B. just brings them over the top. I love all the versatility they have. And then that carries over to the defense with the versatility. So many guys that can play all over the field. We saw the Patriots just send waves of different guys in the front, uh, in the, uh, front seven, six, you know, kind of on a, on a play-by-play basis. But so many guys that can play different alignments, different positions, and it's hard for the defense to key in on what exactly certain guys are doing because they can perform so many different tasks. So, I mean, it was, it was a great win and maybe not the best competition, obviously. They're going to face some tougher teams, but it was a good sign for a team. You know, all you can ask for is to have them execute their jobs and, you know, for something to coach up the next time that they're in the film session, and there's plenty of that too. So a lot to be excited about. Yeah, and you mentioned that defense, Taylor, and I do want to start there. Were you more impressed with the pass rush on Sunday or the secondary? You've got seven sacks or four picks, two pick sixes, but most of the sacks mm-hmm. coming in the second half. Which were you more impressed with, the pass rush, the secondary, or was it just a combination of the two? I think there was a lot of – honestly, I'd probably put the secondary and notch above just because the coverage was so suffocating, and I think that was pretty predictable going in. Uh, Miami's got a lot of explosive talent, but at the same time, they have trouble with consistency. You saw that with the drops that they had. Um, some of the route running isn't, you know, the best that New England's defenders are going to see, and when you play that secondary, you really have to be able to use your athleticism and a little bit of savvy to get open against them. And what actually ended up happening was, in the first half of the game, Miami did a lot of running and a lot of play action. There weren't that many regular drop-back passes, so I think that explains a lot of why the pass rush didn't get home a ton in the first half. I think it was really similar to a Patriots type of game plan where you want to see if you can run the ball and then get those big chunk plays. 
which is why I give the secondary extra credit because, you know, Miami tried a lot of different things to get them out of position, but they did an excellent job being disciplined. I think it helps that, you know, they played this type of offense because Shadow Shea, the offense coordinator in Miami, was a wide receiver coach for years in New England. So it's a very similar system where you see a lot of passes to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly. So not a lot of opportunities for the pass rush, really. But when they had their spots, there were a couple, I noticed there were um, a couple of stunts that they tried where there's line games where, you know, guys start looping around and cause some offensive confusion where they weren't executed very well and guys ran into each other. But there weren't a ton of those. For the most part, those games worked very well. And there's some guys that I know we're going to talk about in a little bit that really shined in those situations. So I'm going to say the secondary maybe gets a slightly higher grade, but the pass rush did show up when they needed to. You know, Taylor, let's stick with the secondary for a second because something that jumped out to me watching this game live and then sort of rewatching it was the discipline. Like you mentioned, there were double moves, fake screens where they weren't biting on things at all. I take it you noticed that as well. And do you think that's something that's going to continue for this team? I do. And the reason for that, I mentioned last week, this team kind of reminds me of the Legion of Boom. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to take any credit away from them. That was a fantastic team, different players, different, you know, different system. But in the way that that defense swarmed to the ball, and it seemed like every single time a tackle was made, it was a defensive meeting. You know what I mean? And a lot of the credit to that is the communication and the chemistry that they have in the secondary and with the defense in general. You rarely see them out of position. They communicate well. They pass things off. They understand what each other's assignments are, and they know what each other is really good at and what their strengths and weaknesses are with the scheme and with the talent that they have. So in terms of swarming of the ball, I think that's what happens when you have a lot of guys on the same page who know where offenses need to go with the ball and what the offense is trying to do to them. And it was also encouraging to see that they had a lot of success playing mostly zone uh, for the early part of the game, a lot of split looks, some cover three, uh, cover three match as well, but not as much man coverage as we're used to seeing from them. And you love to see that the defense has the versatility to like they did with the Rams. Although I thought there were some, you know, uh, some communication lapses there because as I said, they're not really much of a zone team, but it seemed that they've improved there as well. So that communication, man, it's, it's really hard to keep them out of position or catch them off guard. Two players that really stood out to me, Taylor. Adam Butler, Danny Shelton. You can make the case that both of those guys had their best games in a Patriots uniform. Were you as impressed with both of them as I was? I really was. You know, in this league, nose tackles don't usually get a lot of credit, but I think the Patriots are one of the few teams that have two truly dynamic nose tackles. Now, we'll start with Danny Shelton. He was someone that really struggled to find a role last year, and Belichick actually mentioned that it was kind of a chunk situation where with his first run with the team before you know he was unsigned until they re-signed him in the offseason for Danny Shelton, like with Chung, they weren't sure how to use his skill set and maximize it in their system. I think they wanted him to be more of a true two-gapping run sufferer where you know he can go to either side of the ball and he's not really trying to get into the backfield. He's more reading what's going on in the play. But this year, they're really just letting him fire off the ball and get into the backfield. And we're seeing it in the running game. We're seeing it in the passing game. And this is why Danny Shelton was a first-round pick. He's got incredible quickness and first-step explosiveness for a guy that's 323, 30 pounds. I'm not sure what he is right now. But he did lose weight in the offseason, and you can see it, man. It's just almost every snap he's on the field, he's getting into the backfield. Belichick also mentioned he's really good with his hands and knowing the blocking schemes and what what offenses are trying to do. Like if teams play outside zone, you regularly see him completely blowing up the front. He's already in the backfield, but he's also good at knowing how to get back into the play so he's not washed out, which was something we saw from him a little bit last season. I think that's what led to his benching. And then Adam Butler, you can't say enough good things about him. He is more versatile than Danny Shelton. You usually see Danny Shelton head up over the center. 
And that's where Adam Butler is a lot of the time in the pressure packages where he is the key. He is the star, stir the straw. The straw that stirs the drink. I don't know why I tried to say that. That's a there you go. <laughs> but uh, like with Shelton, he's got really good first step quickness, and he's got that grit move, and he plays with great pad level, so he gets under defenders, and it really forces them to commit. And because of that, with his alignment inside, he usually sees double teams, and he opens up a lot of opportunities for other people to come in and get plays if they're on their own. But this game, we also saw him get a couple of sacks, and he made a lot, a huge impact just on his own, as well as he freed up Winovich on one pressure, on one sack, actually, I believe it was, or a pressure. Um, so, I mean, and Adam Butler, actually, when he freed Winovich, he was outside standing up in their amoeba package. So he's a nose tackle who's standing up on the outside, just shows you how versatile he is and what a weapon he is for, uh, for the defense. So those guys are incredible players. All right, Taylor, you know I was going to get to the offense eventually, and here we go. We're going to talk about the Antonio Brown stuff in a second, but look, the offense puts up some points in this game. You had the two defensive scores, sure, but the offense looked good at times. What were your impressions from the offensive side of the ball? The offense has so many ways they can hurt you, and I think we haven't even begun to see what they're going to turn into. I think what we're seeing now is a lot of experimentation, seeing how defenses want to play certain personnel packages, and I know there's that McDaniels is getting some flack for not really giving Sony a lot of opportunities to run out of wider personnel groups because a lot of the time when he's on the field, you also see at least one tight end and usually Devlin in the backfield with him. So what happens is defenses key in on that and they say, well, they're probably going to run the ball since Sony's run, the percentage of run plays with Sony is so high. And I know a lot of people want to see him catching more balls, but I'm going to hold Sony tangent, but the value that he brings to the play action with his presence on the field is huge. His numbers aren't great right now because he's playing against loaded boxes that are specifically trying to take him away. But the plus side of that is when defense is key in on Sony, it completely opens up the middle of the field, which we saw a lot with uh, Edelman towards the end of the game. There were a lot of play action passes, and he just ripped off chunk plays on that one late drive. So, I mean, that's just talking about Sony. There's so much this offense can do with you with their receivers. Um, even Matt Lacoste, who I wasn't very high on because I think he also struggled as a blocker in Miami, which is something I've mentioned from him for a while. But he's a big guy, so he did enough, and he held his blocks as long as he needed to. And he's another big target over the middle. He's no Gronk or anything, but he's just another guy you got to defend in a loaded uh, receiving core, a loaded backfield that has a ton of versatility. You know, I, I sent you, Taylor, sort of those questions we were going to cover, but I'm going off script here for a second because it gives me a chance to ask somebody I respect about James Devlin. I love the guy. I've joked on this show oh, that yeah. I could write a book about him, that I might write a book about him. <laughs> I've sung songs about him in a sense, some some odes to him. But how good is James Devlin and how important is he to this offense and to Sony Michelle, perhaps? Well, please send me an early copy of that book. I'll be the first one to read it. I love James Devlin. I came out with an article on him, I believe it was uh, two summers ago, where I mentioned what a versatile tool he is for the team. Now, he's not like a, like a Kyle Juszczyk where he's you know, someone who's going to catch a ton of passes, but just what he brings in terms of his presence, like Sony, when he's on the field, defenses are saying we have to defend the run because if we come out in nickel and James Devlin's on the field, he's going to put us in the dirt. Like, it's not going to be good for us. So not only does he help you personnel-wise get heavier guys on the field, and then you can spread guys out, which Brady loves to do, and just dink and dunk when, you know, you can just throw it underneath and take advantage of the big guys. Or, as we saw with Burkhead, late in the game, Brady audibled and put it over the top on a slot fade. There's so many things. Devil was on the field on that play, but it's just an example of what can happen when you get heavy personnel on the field 
and you decide, you know what, if you're going to take away the run, we're going to pass. And he can catch passes. And, you know, they love him on that fullback dive. He couldn't get in the end zone last week. I was a little upset about that, but he's done it plenty of times. It was just a really good effort for Miami. But uh, Devlin, man, again, versatility. It's the name of the game with this team. And he can do so many things and influence defenses in such significant ways. And, man, I'm, I'm in that fan club with you. I love me some James Devlin. A lot of people after this game on the Slack channel on Twitter and elsewhere asked me about the backup tackles. Brady gets sacked twice. People are a little concerned about the offensive line right now. We go win with a turf toe, cannon with the shoulder. Did you get a chance to watch these backup tackles on Sunday? And if so, what were your thoughts? I did. I thought they were definitely serviceable. They did a mm-hmm. good job. I think Brady was honestly a huge part of it as well. He did a good job stepping into the pocket with the tackles, kind of just having the rushers go around him. So I give him more of the credit to Brady. I wasn't, you know, that uh, encouraged by what I saw. I thought Newhouse and uh, Cunningham had trouble with speed, which kind of opened them up to speed, the power moves, where they would open up their chest a little bit early. They didn't really uh, stick on their blocks very long in pass protection. They, there were a lot of really close calls where Brady almost got hit. And like I said, he was stepping up into the pocket, which helped. But there was one play where Cunningham actually let a guy get by, and Brady had nowhere to step up because Shaq Mason was getting bull rushed right into him. Mm-hmm. So it's that kind of thing where all those pieces have to work together, where if you know some pieces are struggling, other pieces can pick it up. So if anything, I think we're really going to have to see this interior offensive line uh, step up their game. Shaq Mason has struggled a bit in pass protection early, so you, know, you want to see him shore that up. But that's been an anomaly considering how good he was last year. So I'm letting it slide since it's still early, of course. But, I mean, I think that you definitely want to give them some help. You don't want to leave them on an island with good pass rushers for sure. Um, maybe when they get more time with Star and they're more comfortable in the system, that'll help a little bit. But I think those are some guys that you want to definitely give help to. Let's talk A.B. We've put it off long enough. A lot of targets, eight targets. Some people questioned whether he was thrown to too much. Sometimes he and Brady were not on the same page. But I know you had some thoughts on the A.B. and Brady connection on Twitter. I saw it during the game. So, Taylor, sort of put it into the words for the gentle listeners here. What were your thoughts on you know, how they got A.B. into the offense and how he looked on Sunday with Tom Brady? Right. Well, I wasn't sure just how many routes they were going to run that required timing. I was thinking a lot of screens, maybe drags where – you know, it's not something where the boss come out at a certain time. But they had a few of those routes as well. Maybe not really complicated routes, but hitches and out routes where the ball was there on time and their chemistry was in sync. So there were definitely a lot of encouraging signs. They had, I believe it was, they connected five times, I believe. Um, and there were some solid receptions where you definitely saw that there was something between them. But at the same time, as you saw on that fade route in the end zone against Eric Rowe, Mm-hmm. Antonio Brown kicked a row off the line with a great job off the line of scrimmage, but there was a little bit of miscommunication, or I think Des Bryant tweeted this, that Brady isn't used to Antonio's speed, which is very likely because he way underthrew him. But Antonio Brown was getting open pretty easily, uh, and he and Brady were connecting. It definitely had some lapses, but it's an encouraging sign to see the first week where they haven't really had a lot of chance to work together, that they're already trying to get him the ball. I'm not so sure that it was a concentrated effort, I think Brady's very honest when he says that he was just looking for the open man, and Antonio Brown happened to be the open man a lot, which is going to be the case this season. But um, it's really exciting because there weren't a lot of times that Antonio Brown was double-covered, which you could say is the fault of the Miami defense if you want. But at the same time, it's really hard to double-cover anyone on this offense, especially situationally, because you have to understand, okay, maybe if, you know, if it were me, I'd probably try to take away Edelman first uh, because that's just someone that Brady's most comfortable with and maybe gives you the best opportunity to get him out of his comfort zone. 
but at the same time with Gordon and Antonio Brown, so many big play threats, and they're still developing a rapport, and they're still growing together, and there's things they can build off of as the season progresses. Uh, I I really don't know how people are going to stop him, right. man. I'm excited to see what Antonio Brown does this year. Yeah, I don't know how teams are going to defend this offense. It's going to be a Something that keeps defensive coordinators up at night. But speaking of people being kept up at night, Brian Flores probably having a tough couple of nights now. Minka Fitzpatrick traded. We're getting close to the end here, but I did want to ask you, Taylor, what's going on in Miami, man? I really don't know. And I hate to say that anyone's tanking. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, whatever ownership's doing, I don't know enough about that kind of stuff. So I would never, you know, accuse someone of purposely uh, losing games just because I have too much respect for this game and the people who put a lot of time and effort into, you know, uh, putting a good product on the field for themselves and for each other and all those things. But there's definitely been some questionable decision-making, I think. I know uh, Travis Wingfield, for uh, he covers the Dolphins. He does some excellent work. He was mentioning some odd personnel decisions with matchups and things that the Dolphins were choosing. And we saw it again against the Patriots. For some reason, Eric Rowe was on Edelman a lot. And if you had told me that going into the game, I just wouldn't have believed you because those guys have gone up against each other in practice so many times when Eric Rowe was the Patriots. Flores has been on the team. He saw it, and Eric Rowe's skill set does not match up well with Edelman. Rowe is better with those big physical guys who he can get his hands on and kind of ride down the field, and you know it's a little harder for them to separate. But Edelman, with his change of direction and his burst, is not someone that you want Eric Rowe facing, and that happened a lot. I thought we'd see Minka Fitzpatrick on Edelman a lot, which was something that kind of worried me because I think Minka can uh, keep up with Jules uh, better than most defensive backs in the NFL. But, yeah, personnel-wise and just the decisions that are being made, trading away young, talented players for draft picks to draft young, talented players, especially when those young guys that they've moved were proven and were some of the cogs in their team. Kenny Stills is a very underrated receiver. He was excellent for them. He showed great hands, his speed down the field. Uh, he was a really, I thought he would be a great fit in their system with all the crossing routes that I know O'Shea wants to use. Laramie Tunsil, who's a great young offensive tackle, one of the more promising guys in the league. And then obviously Minka Fitzpatrick, like these are proven guys who are putting good football on tape. And for some reason, they're trying to get rid of them for, for draft picks. I mean, I don't really understand it. Um, but then again, I'm, I'm 23. What do I know? <laughs> it's definitely some, some odd decision-making going on, but uh, we'll see what happens. I, I just wish the best for Flores because I have a lot of respect for him, and he seems like a really hardworking, dedicated uh, guy who cares about his players. So uh, I, I hope that situation gets resolved as soon as possible, but it's, it's not looking good for Miami's future, if I'm being honest from my perspective. Speaking of not looking good, the New York Jets, who the Patriots will host – on Sunday, they dropped their second straight game. They lost to the Bills. They now lose to the you know the Cleveland Browns on Monday Night Football. They're without Sam Darnold at least for a little bit of time because he's got model Trevor Simeon now out for the season. Early thoughts on Jets Week now that we've seen the Jets for two games. I think we're going to see another blowout, and I don't think that's a really crazy prediction. I think this is an instance where it's obviously with all the losses they've had with, as you said, Mosley and Simeon and all those really important players. And then Tremaine Johnson, who started for them last year, didn't even play last night. I guess Greg Williams uh, didn't think that he uh, was someone that he wanted to put on the field based on what had happened in practice in the previous week. But I think that they're overmatched like Miami was last week from a talent perspective. And on top of that, they also have a system where I'm really not sure what's going on. Adam Gase is someone that I was excited to see with someone like Donald, where I thought he was really going to come up with some clever things to, you know, uh, take advantage of his skill set and bring some nice things to that offense. I know Trevor Simeon isn't Donald. He can't do all the same things, and that's going to, you know, hurt them. But even, you know, from what we saw, it just seemed like a very lackluster game plan. And, you know, it's a short, it's, it was a tough week for them. So 
with the quarterback situation. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt a little bit, but I don't think this offense is going to be able to move against the Patriots defense when it couldn't really even move the ball last night. And on the defensive side of the ball, I did like the toughness they showed. They were really hammering the Browns receivers a few times. I liked their physicality, and I think that may be a bit of a, um, uh, you know, an uh, advantage for them against New England. But they also had a lot of defensive lapses that the Browns didn't take advantage of. And once that they did, like that play to Odell Beckham Jr., I don't know how. You know, if you usually have a talented wide receiver as the number three on the inside, which is the closest to the uh, line of scrimmage, or to the, I'm sorry, to the offensive line, when you see that formation and that alignment, it's an immediate alert that a drag or a crossing route is coming. So if it's a really good player, that's a play that can get you a lot of yards. It can get the ball in their hands, especially someone with Odell Beckham Jr.'s yards after the catchability. That needs to be someone that you have eyes on immediately. And for some reason, the ball was snapped. Not only wasn't there anyone over him, but no one even knew where he was in the zone coverage. So I think things like that are really going to be killer against all the weapons for the Patriots. So I'm expecting another blowout uh, against the Jets. Every time he's here, he always brings the knowledge. Taylor Kyle is crushing it again, as he does every time he's on with us here at the Scotia Show. Taylor, buddy, thanks so much for coming on. We'll do it again soon. All right. Thanks for having me, man. And, folks, that will do it for Episode 15 of the Sco Show. I will be back tomorrow on Thursday with Connor Rogers. He's the co-host of the Stick to Football podcast with Matt Miller and Mello Miller. And he's also a big Jets guy. So he's going to come in and try to tell us what exactly is happening down at the MetLife Stadium, New Meadowlands. We've got Daniel Jones in for the Giants. We've got Sam Darnold with, with Mono. Craziness happening in the Big Apple, and Connor will help us sort it all out. Until then, folks, please do keep on blessing that Patriots reign out in Foxborough.